This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Quentin Zambone joins us this week to talk about his experience training and competing in strongman. If you're like me, when you think about the sport of strongman, you imagine towering European physiques, hands that could palm a medicine ball, and a viral video of a guy simultaneously vomiting and doing a tired deadlift ladder. But at just 5 foot 6 inches and 170 pounds, Quint represents the lighter weight class of this growing competitive niche. Hear about how he transitioned from soccer, yes, soccer, to the other end of the spectrum of strength and conditioning. Not only does Quint have some advice for any up-and-coming competitors out there, but as a coach of many youth athletes, he's able to shed some light on the woes of managing large groups of especially needy high schoolers. Well, I think that's enough yoking around. At last, it's time for the podcast. This is episode 144. What's happening, Power Athlete Nation? Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. This is Danny, and I'm joined with John, Luke, and Tex. And today our guest is Quint Zambon. He just recently returned from Norway, where he placed in the top ten at the World's Strongest Man. What's happening, fellas? What's going on? What's happening? You guys didn't like the fucking Tyson intro? Listen, Denny, here's what it sounded like. You were you were playing it through a tin can, right? That's, we could that's barely hear it three seconds. Actually, the uh, image I had was Denny standing outside my bedroom window with a raincoat as he was holding up his boombox trying right? to do his best John Cusack say anything line. And I was like, I'm about to uh, look out my bedroom window and like wave to you, have you come up in the room, and we can run off into the you know wilderness together. But I couldn't make out any of the words. If that no, was Tyson, I couldn't make less, it out. It's a lesson on intimidation from Mike Tyson. That, right? that was Mike Tyson? Yeah. yeah. It didn't sound like him. There was no lift. Well, you couldn't hear it because <laughs> Denny was playing it off from his phone into his 1995 <laughs> um, ThinkPad microphone. <laughs> are you like? Are you behind me staring through the window looking into what I'm doing? Denny, I have eyes everywhere. Dude, first first of all, I'm, I'm when starting, you're that close to Naperville, I got eyes on you. I'm, I'm starting to refer to Luke as HTML, High Maintenance Technology <laughs> Luke, because his... HMTL? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that part of my high maintenance? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like High Maintenance Technical Luke. Because his uh, arrogance and conceit when it comes to technology and his ability to kick you in the teeth, the fact that you still use a flip phone, is always on point. Hang on. First off, <laughs> it's too much. put this into context, <laughs> I had text by a new computer. And if anyone who's bought a new computer, you know how to set it up, right? You open the laptop and you hit power and you fill out the information. Yes. Text decides <laughs> to skip it and it doesn't fucking work. You know, it wouldn't go off the first time, so I had to reset it. <laughs> and you dropped the worst joke of all time on me. No, yeah, that's great. What is it? I, well, uh, are you waiting for me to tell it? So I go, Tex, maybe, it, maybe it's the loose nut behind the keyboard. 
He's like, no, nah, there's nothing behind the keyboard, man. <laughs> oh, my like, God. oh, wait, it's me. I'm the loose nut. <laughs> oh, the, lo- the loose me. Oh, wait. Oh, okay, gotcha. You don't like that one? Uh, no, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty good. Like, um, yeah, now I know what the Apple geniuses have to deal with. Yeah. It, it won't turn on. Have you used the button at the top? Oh. Well, that's why Zelensky's so salty. Because he has to put on that fake face throughout the whole day, and then he just gets all salty. Is he still working at uh, Apple? I don't know. Maybe. No, no, he doesn't. He just sits at home and wears his fucking UV-blocking sunglasses. (laughs) Underpants and his UV sunglasses on the Apple forums, calling people noobs. (laughs) (laughs) Here's where I was going with the the Tyson intimidation, right? I mean... Daddy, if you wanted to do it, what you do is you convert it into some digital file that only Luke knows about, and then you email it, which is electronic mail to us, and then we have somebody drop it in ahead of time mm-hmm. so that the sound quality is a little bit better. Instead, he's your... just fucking playing it off of his talk boy. Anybody That's... remember the talk no, boy? No, <laughs> I don't remember the talk boy. But, but I was imagining, like, a cassette that he had recorded, <laughs> yeah. and he had it, like, plugged into, like, those speakers that, like, clamshelled out that he was, like, holding up. It's like, watch this. Can't fucking win. That's all right, Denny. Enough about us. Enough about technology. How do we get on to our guest here? Yeah. Quint Zambon, the man. Uh, shit, man. Quint, what? I think me and Jeremy came and hooked up with you and Adam like, what, three years ago? Two years ago? At least, it had to be at least a couple, I'm thinking. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so just just a little like kind of like history. Um, I used to work for another gym, and a trainer came in. His name was Adam, and he was like doing the CrossFit thing, but his background was more strongman. So, huh? Y'all named Eve? I didn't get that. Anyway. But hey, but can we do, like for our, our listeners who uh, um, don't know who Quinn is, can you give us a little background on who you are? And, uh, you know, uh, you know, we obviously are familiar with World's Strongest Man, but just give a little bit of history. I mean, I always kind of dig a CV on people, like where you're from. How'd you get into it, and more importantly, who you are, so we can get to know you a little bit. Yeah, better. what's the journey? How'd you get yeah. into yeah. it? Yeah, um, no problem. Uh, I was, yeah, my, name, my name's Quint. I, I'm out in Crystal Lake, Illinois, which is actually where I'm from. I've been around, but have returned. Um, I've been in Strongman competing, you know, at a competitive or national level. This will be my fifth year, I think. Um, been competing overall for probably six or seven. I wasn't as serious about it in the beginning. Train, I worked at a gym called Forge uh, Fitness, train athletes primarily, but, you know, I work with whoever. Um, before that, I was with a different gym, which was very sports-specific, also in Crystal Lake, and I was there for seven years, six and a half years. Yeah, I'm getting old. Um, and, you know, that's where I kind of started getting into Strongman more and more as far as competing. I always kind of had... I had some equipment there. I always liked the strongman movements for athletes in general, and I still do. You know, prefer them to a lot of your more you know standard standard training when it comes to training athletes. So that's kind of how I started with it. And you know, I played soccer in college. I played baseball in college, and I was still playing soccer up until really I started competing in strongman. And and that's kind of a big reason why I started was every year it got kind of harder to find guys that could still play soccer. And once I was done, I kind of needed something else to compete in. I've just always been like that. So my, my clients, my, my partner that I worked with back then kind of urged me to, to give it a shot. So 
I signed up for a contest, like I said, it had to be five years ago. Uh, in Kentucky, I drove out there, competed, and was hooked immediately. I mean, I'm not going to lie, man. I don't – I mean, maybe I'm biased against soccer players. Sure. Because a lot of us are from a football background, but I don't see soccer players leading into, like, banging fucking heavyweights. Well, uh, how big are you? Like, um, are you, you know, 5'4"? I'm, I'm a towering 5'6". Uh, <laughs> deceptively, deceptively tall. Uh, I'm 5'6". I walk at about, you know, I'd say 190 is a good number to give you. It, it fluctuates. So uh, for World's Strongest Man, they obviously have uh, weight classes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, so like, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. I, I think everybody's familiar with, like, watching Bill Kazmaier in his, um, you know, diaper doing the, the sumo wrestling thing from the 70s, <laughs> where he's, like, jacking, like, another 400-pound man. So I think people are used to seeing World's Strongest Man, and they think of, you know, uh, uh, what is the name, like, the, the big uh, Icelandic dude, Thor, who's, like, 6'9", 420 jacked. Yeah. Yeah. So I think people see it, but they, I, I, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure people don't realize that there's actually a smaller division uh, really strong, fast, athletic dudes that are actually more fun to watch than the big ogres. Didn't Dr. Tom compete at a lighter yeah, weight? As yeah, well? do, uh, Dr. Tom, um, who's our buddy out in Arizona, who's been on our podcast several times uh, from Human Performance Specialist, he held the world record in the, uh, I think he was under 200 pound deadlift. He pulled like 934 from a mid shin at like 198. Mm-hmm. And in log press? Yeah, and like, he had a bunch of world records in terms of like the, in the, the under deal. So. He's got great stories of like him hanging out with Bill Kazmaier and them getting all drunk and then going into like uh, like Kmart and like rolling rolling all the fry, uh, frying pans up like mm-hmm. like uh, burritos and then <laughs> leaving. And um, and yeah, that's kind of what I was telling Denny in the beginning was the whole the whole world's strongest man being divided into weight classes is that's kind of new. You know, in fact, when this was a, just a world championship when they had first announced it, at least as far as I knew. You know, and, and we're announcing the qualifiers, and um, it wasn't until you know a few months after that that we had got a notification on Facebook that said it was you know now officially tied in with World Strongest Man, and that info is still coming out that they are they are going to start adding more weight classes, and they're adding women or I shouldn't say adding they're bringing women back, and they'll be doing weight classes with the women, and I'm just kind of waiting for that information to to keep coming. Like I'll I'll be competing again. In the World Championships in uh, the first weekend of March for the 175 class, that you know that is not tied in with World Strongest Man, but to my knowledge, is the only World Championships that they have for that weight class, and that's out at the that's at the Arnold in uh, Columbus. With, so, uh, how beneficial do you think that the adding of weight classes, the adding uh, of women, is for the sport in terms of growth? Because I know they got a lot of competition. People are almost flocking more towards Olympic lifting than strongman. So is this their way to compete with that sport? I don't know if it's they're trying to compete with that sport. I think it's I think it's a lot it has to do with how big this sport has gotten, you know, over the past five, ten years. It's just it's growing very quickly. But there's still, you know, kind of what you said with people think of soccer and they think, you know, they don't associate that with strongman. I think that that's True with you know smaller guys in general that hear strong man and they're immediately intimidated like well obviously I can't do that stuff against the guys that you see on TV and as more information has got out as the sport's grown and now you know there is there is weight classes and there is a a need for that and you know the would I still do it if there was no championships yeah I would but you know it's something that I think a lot of athletes wanted. You know, they want a world change. They want to see how they measure up 
with guys from England or you know guys in in Russia, whatever it might be, because you don't get there's not a whole lot of opportunity. We're not getting paid to do it. You know, we're not getting paid to travel. We don't get to go and compete against guys all over the world. So I don't know if it's a way to of they're trying to compete with other sports. I just think it's you know they're trying to make their the athletes happy and the sport's getting big and there's finally a need for it. So if uh, you know you talked about you guys um, you know obviously not getting paid and paying uh, your own travel is that different than like we see with like the super heavyweights which you know I think most people are familiar with um, those guys are obviously professional and they're winning purses I, I guess associated with these different contests and sponsorships and whatnot. Yeah. So is there really kind of I mean I, I would imagine there's probably a huge separation between you know. The, what you're competing in terms of like the money and the notoriety versus what you know the the 400 pound behemoth is doing. Right, and it, I mean it's huge. And you know I'm not I'm not around any of the big pros. I've you know I chatted with them here and there, and I don't have a whole lot of experience with it. What I do, what I've gotten anyways, is the the pros here in the U.S. And if this has changed over the last couple of years, then you know it may have, but. We're the guys that you see on TV. The U.S. are the are the guys that actually have another job. You know, they what they make doing strongman typically doesn't seem to be enough for them to to live on. Where when you hear like Eddie Hall talk, or you know any of the any of the old time guys that were you, you did it in Europe and they you know that was their job. They could be a strongman. There was you know they make enough money to make a good living just doing the sport. And we're just not there yet. I don't know if we will. We ever will be, but even as far as within the U.S., yeah. I mean, you, you go to pro shows. The essentially what you weigh is going to dictate how much money you make. You know, the, the super heavyweights; those are the guys that do come from everywhere, and they are competing for some big purses. Um, most of the time, we don't even we're not even competing for money. You know, I've got I think I can think of three contests I've done where I've actually won money, um, and the amount that I've won has essentially you know, paid for my my airfare. That's it, to put it in context. So everything else, you know, still came out of my pocket. And I and we don't do it for the money, and I, I don't think there's many people, period, even the big pros that do do it for the money. There's there's something about the sport. It's just, it's addicting. I love it. I, I love coaching it. It's it's just awesome. You talked a little bit about your training. Um, you know, I mean, obviously you were a soccer player, and you probably did, you know, standard strength conditioning to prepare for you know, playing soccer, but, you know, when you all of a sudden decided to make, uh, you know, that transition into strongman, was it something that was just kind of natural? Like all of a sudden, hey, I need something else, and you went in the, in the weight room, and, you know, you just happened to be pretty strong or pretty good at some of the movements or, you know, some of the athleticism you developed early on kind of, uh, you know, necessitated these things, and then it just kind of grew from there, or was it something you went into and you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm into this? No, you know, it was more what, what happened. I was, I was small, you know, in high school. I graduated high school. I probably weighed 140 pounds. And when I was, you know, looking at schools to go play, and there are schools interested, and um, there, it, it wouldn't be uncommon for me to to go on a college visit and like literally have them look at me and just be like, "You're too small," and that's that was it. I'd go home. Um, you know, finally got a call from a, a coach that was out in Indiana uh, at a branch of Indiana University in Fort Wayne, and he kind of said the same thing, he, but, you know, he's, his exact line was something along the lines of, like, you're too small, but so was I. And he did take me on. He did give me a scholarship, but he wanted me to gain 15 pounds, you know, as fast as I could. It wasn't like I was on a deadline. And that's when I started just lifting weights in general more seriously. 
and I was hooked. Like I loved it. So I continued the training, and I just kind of continued to get bigger, and, and like I was getting into um, training in general, uh, especially with athletes. So I was doing it more, and I just really enjoyed it. So and it just kind of progressed. I you know trained with some guys who introduced me to strongman movements and Olympic movements, and the the strongman just it just seemed the most fun because it had the most variety, and I I just enjoyed it a whole lot. So. I was, you know, I did some of the stuff while, you know, I, I was playing still or I was still competitive. And since I've been doing my own thing or running my own, you know, kind of business, I've always had the strongman stuff with the athletes. Um, and when I started competing, even that first time when I kind of got, I never, I never thought I would take it to this level. You know, I just love coaching it. And it turned out, I, I don't know, I was better than I thought I was or it just, was it natural? I don't know if it was natural, but it was it was worth doing, and you know I was good enough at it. The, when I that first year I competed and I went to nationals, the the previous year, the one the 175 class, which is the class I competed most often, was pretty much dead. And that first year that I went to nationals was the first year they were hosting the world championships in the uh, at the Arnold. So. If that wasn't happening, I'm not sure I would have went. But I was like, you know what, let's go. Let's see if I'm good enough to at least qualify. And I was pretty confident going down there. You know, I, based on the competitions that I had done in the past, I went down in pretty good shape, pretty healthy, strong. And um, I wouldn't say I was humbled. I did well. I did really well. They, did, they were taking 10 guys of the world, and I finished sixth that first year, I think. And I was never really out of the hunt, but... Uh, that's after that nationals is when I, I knew what I needed to do. I knew where I needed to be if I was going to be, you know, a top three kind of guy. Uh, and that's after that was down in Mississippi in 2012, I believe it was. And then after that, it was all over. Like my concentration just went to 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 more of the training. And you know, I, I haven't, I don't play soccer anymore. I don't do the other sports. I, you know, maybe I still would if it was a, if there was an opportunity, but. That's what going the, down there and competing against the guys across the country. It was when I left there that I knew what I wanted to do and at least where, see how good, see how far I could take it. Put it that way. So when you, you knew went, that, oh, go ahead, Dex. You're up. I was gonna ask when when you went all in. Did you seek a coach? Did you seek stronger training partners in your weight class? Did you look for stronger guys above your weight class? How did you basically go all in and decide this is it? You know, I. Yes and no. Um, the the year after that happened, I got the qualification to the Arnold. They had announced the events, and one of the events included a, a deadlift medley. That part of the medley was it was a standard, um, you know, barbell deadlift. It was the second piece of the the, the medley, and it was 585 pounds. And at the time, that was more than I could deadlift. In fact, I only knew of a couple guys at 175 that competed in Sherman that could do it. So I immediately actually called my partner that I was that I was with the gym with. He's he was an old powerlifter in college, and um, you know, he's a little guy. And I told him, I said, I go, I need you to call, I need you to fix my deadlift. Like we got to get in there. And I needed to add about to just to get to 585. Like legitimately need to add about 40 pounds to it in what three months. So. He he was the coach that I you know had brought in and I just worked with him once a week um, and he was great. He actually it was it was little things that he picked up that 
if I was just watching video of myself, I never would have. But he fixed, you know, we would point it out and fix it, and I was. I got it. I got up to the 585, um, and then some. By the time that went, as far as like, did I seek, uh, you know, other training partners? Not really. I had a good group already. I had, you know, over the course of time, I started doing like strongman Saturdays at the gym just to kind of, if people who wanted to try it out would come and, and train. And um, one of the first guys that worked for me at the gym, uh, Trevor Rudkowski, he got into the, the strongman as well. So, and with that, like we had some national level competitors that were coming to, at the time it was with Davis Speed Center, were coming to that gym to train with us. So I had a good crew. Um, I didn't, you know, did I, did I look out to, for training advice from the other competitors? Not really, not unless something specific may come up and I might shoot a question to somebody that I had met along the way. Uh, and I never got, I, to this day I don't. I don't. I don't get tied up with what other guys in my weight class are doing. I don't try to, you know, if I'm, if I'm seeing where my log press stands, I don't compare them to the other guys in, in the weight class. I don't go on Facebook or go online or message them and say, hey, where am I compared to you on this? I've, I don't do that. I don't, I know guys that do, and if it's beneficial to them, that's fine. I know personally that it's not a benefit to me. Uh, you know, I kind of, I'm more of the guy that's, I just need to get as strong as I can be, and if, you know, that doesn't measure up to two other guys that are as strong as they can be, well, there's nothing I can do about that anyways. They're just stronger, and I don't have a problem, you know, training to, to get to as good as I can, so I don't. I guess I don't seek out outside help in that respect as much as a lot of other guys do. But do you, do you see a like direct uh, correlation between, let's say, like a, you know the standard kind of barbell lifts, like what you do in the weight room, and obviously in your strongman, like you, you know, because a big part of the strongman is lifting you know heavy and, and um, awkward implements. So you know, you think about a barbell being you know this nice thin tube that you basically put perfectly uh, you know cylinder type weights on the end. It's perfectly balanced. You put it on your back or in your hands, and you're able to lift it with you know obviously a certain amount of balance. All of a sudden, you change those implements and you add logs and stones and you know uh, you know boulders or you know let's say a yoke carrier, all these other things. So I mean, while the you know if you think about like the movement pattern might be similar, the uh, change in implement adds such a new variation. That uh, you know, I just wonder how much of your training is like standard barbell, or is it uh, you know kind of split up? Like at certain points you do more barbell stuff, and then as you get closer to competition, you kind of transition into it, or is it just like a one for one? Like hey, I, I get all my strength work, and then I go do all my sport specific type training with the implements. It's you know it's it, it's definitely a little bit of both. Um, I found over time as I've you know matured as a competitor, I actually probably do less event work as far as event work for the event that's coming up. Like, So if I've got an event in two months and I know the five events are coming out, it, at first it would be like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to train these events and get as good as I can be at them, and that would be a majority of my training. And I've now totally different from that. You know, it's there's the, the standard barbell movements I still do. You know, I squat every week, I deadlift every week, I, I clean you know, 90% of the weeks that are in there. Um, I do the Olympic stuff once a week. I try to get in. I don't at this and you know anymore. I, I don't do a lot of accessory work at all, unless I need it. Unless you know I I know that there's something lagging. Um, there's not a whole lot of 
my my training program that is not big movements. And then when it comes to the event stuff, you know, after that stuff's out of the way, I I more I guess it's, it's I wouldn't say instinctive, but as long as there's I've got a plan in mind when I go to the gym, and it may involve you know one of the days I may be doing a carry. I don't even really decide which one I'm going to do until you know I'm there. If I feel like doing the yoke, I'll do the yoke. If I want to carry farmers, I'll carry the farmer handles. And it's more the way the way I look at it and the way I try to explain it to the competitors that I coach is I just try to get as strong as I can be overall, uh, and you know keep my athleticism. And it's not about I don't want to be the strongest person in the world. Uh, you know, under a yoke walk, when that's and, and it end up being a, a one-trick pony, like that's not that's not why I do this. Um, so I try to be pretty well-rounded, and I think the way to do that is with the big movements and to keep you know a lot of variety. If I had to guess, you know, percentage-wise of what percentage of my training is actual events versus you know the the barbell training, I'd say at the most maybe. 35% might be actual event training, and the rest is a lot more of your traditional stuff. I, and I actually train a lot more explosive movements, um, you know, other than the Olympic cleans now than I used to in the past. Like, I'm, I run sprints more often, and I do I do box jumps more often. And I've noticed, just because I'm getting older in general, that is what I feel has kept me a lot more competitive than just trying to go heavy all the time, and that just beat me up. I know, I know. You just talked about earlier. You're not like uh, too plugged into what the competition or friends or buddies are doing, but um, you're not the only person involved in strongman who has a similar philosophy. Like, I know I'm carrying today. I don't know what it is, but it's just going to try and be heavier than yesterday. Sure. Is that a common? I mean, is that common practice with competitive strongmen and women? I guess, or are there guys out there as well who are like? trying to calculate linear progressions through different movement patterns, carries, throws, uh, lifts, things like that, and they try to, you know, put a little more data behind the program. Power Athlete Nation, we are interrupting your regular programming to bring you the launch of Form Collar. We've worked with the team from form lifting to develop what we believe is one of the most essential training aids for any coach or athlete. The device attaches to the barbell like any other collar and measures force, speed, acceleration, and power and sends this info to your smartphone instantaneously as you train. Yes, there's an app for that. Unlike any other wearables we've tested, the metrics provided are accurate and meaningful and provide yet another layer to your training that will help drive more effective power, strength, and speed adaptations. Having instantaneous access to info like this during your training is a pure game changer. Make sure you guys head over to pahq.co forward slash form lift. That's capital F O R M capital L I F T for more information on how you can get your form collar. Now back to the show. It depends. I mean, it it definitely depends on the person there. There are, are people that, they do get into the percentages and they you know, know what they want to hit and what they're going to hit. And, you know, they don't, they won't go over. They won't, if they're, if they're going to do their circus dumbbell at 75% and they got to hit, you know, three sets of six that day, that's what they'll do. And if they're feeling great, they don't, they don't stray away from it. Um, but there are a lot, like you said, with the philosophy that I have, there are a lot more, uh, you know, guys going towards that. And I think you'll find that in the, in the beginning, all the way until you know you're good, you'll see guys that try to stay a lot more structured. And once you get into 
you know, your top guys on the national and world level, they don't get too wrapped up in it. That's, you know, that's what I think now. I do, I know, you know, two guys off the top of my head who are at a national you know, slash world level that still are extremely structured, and they're both absolute monsters. Um, so I think it just kind of depends on the person, and you got to kind of find your own way until, you know, you can realize that that's the best way for you. And I have had... Um, I've had people that not I not only that I train but I, you know I do some programming for strongmen and powerlifters everywhere, and they've kind of adopted a more you know just be more instinctive when you when you're at the gym and they they seem to love it. And I haven't had much negative feedback. Sometimes I will have you know somebody message me and be like, hey, instead of you know saying we got to get some carries in, you know, or get some carries in at the end. Can you tell me what to do? You know, and, and like an estimation of weight, and and I'll do it for them. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But I I think that you know teaching my my clients or my athletes to to do a lot of thinking on their own is very beneficial to them as well. So the feedback I've gotten for people that I kind of have forced into the same philosophy that I've had seems to be pretty positive. But it really depends on the person. You're going to see guys that are structured completely, and you're going to see guys that are just going to go out and, yeah, you know, if they're if they're supposed to do some kind of loading event, they're going to pick up whatever they feel like picking up that day and, you know, putting it on a platform. Yeah, we kind of see that more with beginners um, that, you know, when people initially get into something, whether it be Olympic weightlifting, strongman, or even just basic barbell stuff that, uh, you know, a more rigid kind of periodized program that, you know, progression sets and reps and that just, you know, hey, this is what I need you to do today. And then obviously as you get into it more and you learn about, you know, not only what works and what, what doesn't work and you do, you know, self-discovery, like, how do you, you know, learning how did, what should feel right and what feels like shit. Yeah, well, you do a whole bunch of programs that completely fuck everything up. I mean, I remember, you know, in college we did this, uh, you know, it was like a 10-week program. And, you know, we tested one RMs and like about three weeks into it, I felt really good. And by the end of 10 weeks, uh, like I didn't fucking PR anything and I got motherfucked on it. And I was like, wait a minute. So how come I was making great gains? Then we go change everything. And then you just start to kind of realize that, you know, hey, this this is what works for me over time. And I think that's just the evolution of just knowing yourself and then also being smart with recovery. And we run into that all the time where people aren't honest about, uh, you know, recovery, and that's why we really personally just got away from a lot of percentages unless they were worked on that day because, um, you know, you, you never really know what people have to go at or, you know, like what their life looks like or their training and environment. I mean, there's a million different factors. So I think especially for something like Strongman, which is, you know, is not only predicated on your ability to do a lift, I guess, obviously heavy, but also, you know, reps and 1RMs and then also speed and movement. So, I mean, it's kind of a an interesting blend. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, some of the, I mean, uh, some of my favorite stuff to ever watch was uh, the, you know, the uh, original World's Strongest Man. I mean, I still remember as I was sitting here listening to talk, thinking about Franco Colombo running with that uh, refrigerator on his oh, back, God, yeah. <laughs> where he, like, dislocated his knee. Yeah. And, like, they were like, Franco, you okay? He's like, I'm fine. And they were, like, asking him, and he's like, I'm a doctor. I'm like, when did Franco Colombo become a doctor? And then you see him with, like, you know, and he, like, reset his knee. But, I mean, that was when they had, you know, guys like Franco, competing, you know, who is, what, like a 185 guy competing against these, you know, Bill Kazmaier and these other big monsters. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's definitely, uh, you know, a really, really good test of athleticism. I mean, you know, uh, I'm sure you've seen guys that are, you know, 
fucking god awfully strong that could you know lift the whole gym. I mean, we used to call them creatures where they could like actually like lift the stadium or the whole weight room. But yet all of a sudden you put them out in a situation where they have to like use that strength dynamically and to use it in space and move, and all of a sudden they implode. I mean, I'm sure you see guys like warming up and you're like, dude, that guy's so strong. And then you get out there and all of a sudden you put them in a competition situation where you had some variation that's different than the barbell and they come down in a, in a pile of bricks. And, uh, you know, we do that as an NFL player. That was like, uh, it's happened so many times that see these dudes had, and I, we used to joke, I mean, this guy looked like Tarzan played like Jane. I'm sure in strongman it's even more. I mean, people think Absolutely. because you're strong, you're going to be great at strongman and you get out there and you're like, no, 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 no. Exactly. There's a lot more to this shit than just being strong. Yeah. Um, it's what I think, you know, is what when you're saying being strong. I've, I, that's what I'm always thinking. I mean, there's always the the guy that can deadlift, you know, a thousand pounds. But when it comes to picking other stuff up, he, you know, he's yeah, he he can't do it. He can't move it. He can't do that. You see it all the time. Um, and I, I it, that's an interesting thing for people that start to compete. You know, who will kind of stalk their competitors online or even when they see them warming up and you know they'll be they'll watch this you know person, guy or girl, you know deadlifting some freakish amount just to warm up, and all of a sudden like they're they start breaking down mentally, and it's it's hard to get past them. Like don't you, you know don't assume that you're not ready or that this guy is the best in the world just because you're seeing him do this one thing. And, like, and it's an important thing to know, and that's you know like. If, some, if, if something comes up on my Facebook page of a guy that I'm competing with next week and he's just destroying some event that I can come nowhere close to, and and honestly, this actually happens fairly often where my clients or my athletes will come in and be like, hey, did you see so-and-so? Like, are you going to be able to do that? And they'll be like, no, probably not. And then they'll ask me if it makes me nervous. No, it doesn't make me nervous. You know, you just got to do the best you can do in everything. And the Just because somebody's a freak at one thing, like the, he was saying, yeah, they... There's a lot of guys that are Tarzan in one event, but Jane in three of the other ones. Sure. No, it, I mean, it's about putting together the complete athlete and being able to, to do, you know, that's why it always comes down to, you know, anybody that's ever watched any strongman stuff, it always comes down to, like, one event that kind of separates the men from the boys, yeah. and it's usually, like, like uh, um, the, uh, uh, fuck, uh, putting the big stones up on the boxes. The, the Atlas. Uh, yeah, the Atlas. <laughs> You know, and you watch those guys run through it, you can always see people's level of conditioning. And that was my favorite. You watch these guys, you know, can't move their feet, and they go up and down, and they, you know, squat 2,000 pounds worth of silver dollars, but then all of a sudden they uh, make them run 40 feet where they have to put, you know, atlas stones and start loading the stones, and people just come apart at the seams. Um, is there anybody uh, in the strongman world that you kind of, you know, when you started that you kind of emulated or you looked to is kind of like, okay, hey, if I could... Uh, you know, watch tape or be like that individual, I'd probably be on point. Mm. There was guys, there was a couple of guys early on in my career that, that they did both compete. I did not compete against either of them um, because they were not in my weight class, but that I had met, you know, early on. One of them, that first strongman contest I went to, um, the guy running it was, was a guy named Derek Stone. He's a lightweight pro, so he competed as a 231 back then. Um, I knew nobody in the sport. You know, I went down with my girlfriend at the time, and that was it. Like, I didn't know anybody there. I didn't know a whole lot about anything. And his first, his whole crew was just awesome. I mean, they were very welcoming in general. It was a big show, uh, and Derek was just, he was just very, you know, accommodating and welcoming. And I didn't have a problem asking him questions. And he is 
turned into, you know, over the past five years, one of my better friends in the sport, you know, in general. Uh, and he was a guy that I felt comfortable enough asking when I first started out, you know, questions about this or that. Or he uh, actually, he, he was even one who took a look at my deadlift over an online source at one point in time. And same, the same thing ended up being true about uh, a guy in Indiana, in Indianapolis, named John Albrecht, who was also a 231. Uh, he was their state chair. One of my early shows I did over there, and, um, you know, we just kind of started chatting because we were a little bit closer geographically. And same thing. You know, he was always just the guy that I could turn to with questions if I had them. And they were both, I mean, to this day, I usually thank them. Even if I don't talk to them for a year, I usually thank them after a Nationals or a Worlds because they were so, you know, great to to, to have that that resource if I did have questions or if I needed help or am I doing this right? No one taught me how to do, you know, 90% of the events that are out there because where I'm at in Crystal Lake, there was nothing like this here until I started, you know, bringing more and more equipment here. So, you know, I, I kind of learned on my own or, it, you know, a training session here or a training session there, but the fine details, I didn't know. And, I mean, if you, you can see in my competitions, there's things that I do that other people don't. Um, and it's hilarious because I actually get messaging on, on certain my my form, if you want to call it, on certain events. And if if I do it, and why is it beneficial? And I have to be honest with them and be like, it's not beneficial. It's just a bad habit that I had to turn into something good because I didn't know how to do it when I was you know first training for it. So, there, yeah, I mean, yes, there was always people there. Were there people that I tried to emulate? Not really. You know, I've always kind of been like that. Like. In, in all my athletes, it was never about trying to be someone. It was just trying to be, you know, the best that I could. I was never going to play on the Olympic soccer team or professionally. I was good, but I wasn't great. But it was just more about getting as good as I could be. That's the best, you know, that's the best thing you can do. Well, Quinn, can you talk us through, like, uh, your, your mental approach to, to an event, whether it's a qualifier or, or a championship event? Like, you know, what's going through your mind? How do you lead up to it? Do you have any rituals, habits, things like that? Uh, again, I mean, yes, uh, and I'm a little bit different as far as a lot of the guys that I know and, and speak to. If it's not, if it's if we're not talking about nationals or a, a world level, um, I actually don't really change my training at all. I don't if I'm doing a show, you know, in a, like let's say if I'm qual even for qualifiers for nationals, usually if I'm going to to a qualifier, I don't really stray away from what I was telling you before. I don't. You know, it, it, like add in more of this event work that's coming. One, it's qualifying usually isn't an issue. You know, for me that it's it's usually going to happen, and I just kind of I don't like to throw my program off just to try to get ready for a, a more local show. But even even at a national world level, where yes, I will do the the events a little bit more often. I still don't get burned out on them, and I've learned that over time that doing the event too much. Is, is not beneficial to me anyways. Uh, and I don't know if it's a mental thing or it's just, you know, I'm not as rounded that way because I'm giving too much attention, you know, here or there. So approaching an event, it, I don't really change a whole lot. Like my, my training is is pretty much the same. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, was there a second part to it? Well, like more, more specifically event day. You know, you wake up, um, I don't know, do some jumping jacks, Put on some Katy Perry, then what? You know? Yeah. Uh, oh, like in training, um, it, it kind of depends. If 
if I got a good group that's going to come out for an event day, um, you know, the, it's a little bit different than if I'm just going in to do events. A lot of times, I don't necessarily have an event day if it's not if I don't have a group coming this week or any week. Um, I'll kind of mix in events throughout the you know my normal training schedule. If I do have a group coming in, and it kind of depends on who's going to be there. If you know Trevor is coming out, who's the guy I mentioned before, who's been with me forever. Trevor's a I mean, he's like eight years younger than me to begin with, um, and he's also what doctors call uh, batshit crazy. So you know that you're gonna—I mean—you're gonna get beat up when you're with him. He's—he's he's an unbelievable motivator. And we need a uh, some form of reference or some example of batshit crazy. Yeah, yeah. Does, he eat, does he eat broken glass? Uh, you know, what's what's going on? He doesn't. He doesn't uh, here, uh, he's. <laughs> He's, the, he's like the Energizer Bunny, for starters. He doesn't run out of energy. I mean, he goes all out, and it it doesn't tire the guy out. Um, and, you know, is he insane? He's a little bit crazy. I remember watching him. He was down at the gym. He was trying to hit a snatch number. Um, I think it was 265, something like that. And and I'm not kidding. I watched him do 15 reps where he just couldn't get it, and he couldn't get it, and he couldn't get it. And we're trying to talk him out of just leaving it alone. He eventually did. Pull it off, but his his philosophy is when his when his mind's set on something, he always says, "I'm going to be here until I do it or I get injured." Um, and he's not serious when he says that to an extent, but that's kind of what his mentality is. And he's just he's got an unbelievable level of conditioning and endurance when it comes to for as big as he is. You know, he's a 240 pound guy, um, and he's fast. And he's just when I know he's coming out, like I know. I'll push myself a little bit harder. I know he's going to push me harder. Um, so, like, the day before, you know, I'm not going to kill myself in the gym. If it is a training day, I will take it, you know, a little easier. Um, as far as me personally getting motivated just to, to train events, I don't I don't need to do a whole lot. Like, I, when I go at the gym, I get at it, you know, pretty good, whether it's a heavy day or not. Um, I've never really had an issue of dragging. Um, you know, I have bad days occasionally. I mean, everybody does. Or... You know, there may be days where I don't want to train, but I found that days where I don't feel like training and early on in the session may be bad, for some reason, those days seem to turn into really good training days. And I don't know if it's because I get angry because I started off, you know, poor or whatever it is in me, um, I don't I don't need to do a whole lot, you know, to get more fired up, to, get, to go in and, and train. So what uh, with some of your clients that come in? What 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 is your clientele like at your gym? I mean, do you have everything from the proverbial soccer mom to the up and coming young gohard, or like you know what type of people are you working with? Now I do. I have like the full spectrum. When I was at the gym I was before this, I was like eighty to ninety percent athletes. You know, I would occasionally have you know the parents that would come in to want to train. Now I've got I got the full spectrum. Um, I'd still say most of what I who I train are you know high school and college age athletes. Uh, I do some team training and I do train you know your soccer moms, your average joes, everything. Um, and my, as far as that me training the whole the you know the full spectrum, there's obviously going to be differences, but you know the they all train relatively similar. You know I do make soccer moms or, you know, the guys that are just average Joes that want to be able to, you know, coach their kids playing baseball, whatever it might be. 
and you know the way I look at it is, if, as long as they put their trust in me and I'll show them how much better, you you know, getting stronger is going to make them feel in general, and just getting more athletic in general. The way I see it, I train everybody like they're an athlete, I, and I think human beings are athletes in general. I mean, that's just how we're made. So, you know, training them, I don't do a whole lot different. I mean, yes, I'm not. You know, if I have a 55-year-old woman that's coming in to train for the first time, I don't hammer hand cleans on her and, you know, tell her that it's going to benefit what she does outside of the gym to a great extent. But I do, you know, train them like, like they're athletes. I, I train my chiropractor who's, I think, 55. And um, when he started, he couldn't do a lot of stuff he does now. But now he, like, he looks forward to doing box jumps and stuff like that. So, you know, my... My philosophy on the spectrum is not a whole lot different, but uh, you know there's considerations that need to be taken in. And yes, I do work with the whole the whole spectrum of you know the population now. And and what's different is now I'm probably the the gym I was at when I was just working with athletes. I probably worked with 65 to 70 percent female, and you know I think that has to do with the high schools around here not having the strength programs implemented in their high schools for the female sports, where now I probably, you know, I deal with more men, it's probably more like 60%, you know, males now, and probably a little bit older as well, and, but, you know, to me it's the same thing, if, if they're in there working hard, I don't really have a preference, the only people I don't like training are the people that are forced to be there, or, you know, their, their, their parents think they need it, but they don't really care, it, you know, those are their, those are the, the ones that, are a lot harder, you know, I think, to train than someone who's maybe brand new to it and is not athletic at all but wants to be there, you know, it's, that's pretty easy. Do you have an approach for those people that don't want to be there? I can imagine most of those high school girls are in that category. I'm convinced they're impossible to train the one population. <laughs> but uh, what have you found work with different clients in terms of motivating the unmotivated? I've had a, I've had a pretty good experience with females that you know that are that do come come in, uh, you know my I like I I like I kind of put my concentration on the environment that's there, and I found in the right environment that takes care of a lot of those problems. You know if you keep everyone positive and you know motivating and engaged you know with each other, not not so much a competition, but I don't have a whole lot of turnover, in, and I've been very lucky with that. I have a lot of people that I've worked with that I've worked with for, you know, you know, five or six years since, you know, I, I started doing this in Crystal Lake, and they, they're awesome. I mean, they're a big part of why I'm as successful as I am is because the newer people that come in, one, they see these guys or girls, you know, lifting, lifting weights they've never seen before, you know, if they were lifting at uh, – you know, a lifetime or a more, you know, commercial type facility. And, or, you know, they immediately are kind of like, well, I wonder if I could get to, to be able to do something like that. And instead of being intimidated, you know, make the environment a positive one, you know, that is going to just be beneficial and not make it out to be, okay, well, you have to be able to do this or we're not going to give you any kind of attention, like, you know, type of thing. And that, I think, is more, at least, you know, per, from my experience, the environment is what's more beneficial than anything I do specifically. Um, 
I do run into, and this, with females, probably a little bit more than the males that I train, uh, but with both of them where a movement is just frustrating or, you know, they're, they make gains originally and then things slow down. And I've, I've had, you know, guys and girls break down, you know, at the gym because of that and because they work hard. And, you know, it's, I don't have a, a specific, you know, template that I use to, you know, try to get their head back in the game. It's just, you know, I, I've, I've seen it and, you know, let them know that it's not uncommon and everybody has, you know, bad days. Those, it's going to happen. There's going to be movements that you're not going to be great at and it's going to take you longer to learn than it is someone else who's been doing it the, the same amount of time. Um, and so I don't have any, any secrets, any magic tricks. It's, you know, more just trying to, trying to get them back. And, the, the, again, the environment is huge. Um, and, you know, the whole slow progression is still progression. It's, it's hard to hammer into them, but you just got to just make them aware of how important that is and kind of takes care of itself. Yeah, this this has been a topic of conversation uh, with Luke and then one of our our coaches, Carl Case, and I mean I'm I'm all about finding systematic approaches to coaching so we can kind of help people and ease their transition into this thing. But a lot of it is also intuitive. Uh, so kind of a couple things I guess we pointed out in our conversations. Number one was just know everybody's name. Um, Luke uh, he experienced that that high school volleyball experience, that monstrosity that I had, and uh, I mean, knowing 60 girls' name is near impossible, but if you're able to connect with one or two, and then one kind of offhanded thing I, I found extremely beneficial for connecting with a group like that was uh, they're all there for a skill or more or less they all got their certain talent, so it was, hey, hey, teach me something. So if it was volleyball, hey, teach me how to set. If it was soccer, hey, uh, teach me how to drug, juggle a freaking soccer ball. So it was uh, just two kind of offhanded things, but this has been a, a conversation we've been having for a few weeks. But just wanted to get your take. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's a great idea. I, the, the one thing, one thing I do do, especially with teams, um, no matter how big or small a team group is, I will consciously make sure I, I engage each one individually. You know, whether it's to correct something to you know, give them positive feedback, whatever it is. Um, and with big groups, it can be tough, but, like, that's one thing I do consciously. I don't know why that habit started. I think it was actually given to me when I first started out, like someone had recommended doing that, and I think it's great. And um, it's not even so much because for the, like I said, I don't have a whole lot of, like, turnovers. So a lot of people I've had for a long time, it's not so much that I was giving too much attention to you know, that the athletes that are more advanced, it was kind of the opposite where I, I'd find myself being kind of letting them go and that, you know, okay, well, they're already at this level. I need to work with, and you know, obviously you do have to work with the ones that need more work in general, but it helped me, you know, just make sure that I was staying engaged with, with everybody that was there. Um, that's the only thing I can think of that I consciously will do with bigger groups or with teams that I train. Um, and it helps me, you know, it's, it's something that seems to be positive for myself and, you know, the, the teams and athletes that I do train. So Quentin, let me ask you one, one last question here. So like we talked about, uh, one of our friends, Dr. Tom Inkledon was, was in the strongman circuit for years and 
you know, he's kind of alluded to the fact that the strong men and the crew around strong men run in a pretty wild circle. So, I mean, as you've been traveling and you've been meeting some of these guys, you don't have to name names, but maybe you could share some of the crazy shit that you've come up, come across at some of these competitions. Cold Blast Coffee is Power Athletes Limited Edition Dark Roast. It's a hardworking, true grit, kick in the door and fire up the machine coffee. Billowing with big, bold flavor, it kicks harder than John Wayne's horse, packs more punch than Bruce Lee, and if Chuck Norris ever approved a coffee, this'd be it. We have proudly partnered with Caveman Coffee Co. to bring you this exclusive blend. Only 500 bags exist, so get it while you can at shop.powerathletehq.com. Now back to the show. Well, I, I don't know what you mean by, what do you mean by crazy? The... I don't know, like, uh, you know, lots of, maybe party a little hard, go out to the clubs, uh, bend some fucking, bend some frying pans in a Walmart, uh, pick up some cars, move them around. I don't know. Um, I, the, there's, there's guys that you know um, have the reputation of, of being big partiers, uh, and I think the reputation does suit them. I'm not really in that that group. Um, I'm pretty boring in general, actually. So I'm not like I don't I don't really go out a whole lot to begin with, and I'm not. So I probably miss out on a lot of the crazy stuff that uh, that does go on. Um, I would lo- I would love to have been at a Waffle House at some point in time and watched the strong men bend all the the pans that were in there, but I've, I've unfortunately never witnessed it. So I don't know. I off the top of my head, I'm not thinking of anything that really stands out. Yeah, I was just curious. Well, the um, and uh, I'm sure we can you know talk about this because we're adults. But uh, Dr. Tom talked about uh, the drug culture surrounding strongmen, especially in those days, was pretty legendary. I mean, far beyond anything else that um, you know he'd ever seen in any sports. So and there's always a great story about you know how drugs got in the NFL was uh, there was a powerlifting strongman event that was in Pittsburgh, and all the Pittsburgh Steelers ended up going over and kind of like meeting these guys, and it was like powerlifters, strongmen, and football players got together, and then that's how like all of a sudden <laughs> all that shit happened. They crossbred all their supplementation strategies. Oh, yeah, they came in, and all these football players were like, what are you doing? Well, wait a minute, what's going on here? And like that was like the kind of the, the big story, and actually I think Zangus is the one that told me that. Um, and so, uh, you know, I just wonder if, uh, you know, that type of stuff is really, you know, and maybe it's not really as prevalent maybe in your weight class with the smaller guys, but I mean, you know, some of these mm-hmm. dudes you see that are like 400 plus pounds, you're like, I guess it's like a walking heart attack, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, so. And I mean, obviously there's been, and there's, there's been in recent years, um, you know, of the, of the bigger guys, there's been some deaths at a very young age and, you know, no one comes out and says, well, it's because they were doing this, but it's at least got to raise some eyebrows, <coughs> excuse me. Um, you know, again, I, I think you're right. You know, I think as the weight classes go up, you you would find that it's it's more common to to you know to use in general. Um, and I if I told if I told you, okay, well, I compete at 175. None of the guys out there do it. Well, no, I'm not, I, that's dumb. Obviously, it's they're they're there. Put it that way. I don't get too involved in it. Again, like I've I always adopt the mentality that just says. Like, I just want to be the best that I can be personally. I don't worry about, you know, if, if I if I retire from the sport without a world championships, I'll still be able to sleep at night. You know, I'm, I'll be fine with that. Um, and without giving too much detail, I do know of, 
you know, a couple competitors that competed in the past, and their their competition career was very short because of abuse, you know, you know, of this drug or another. And I'm I'm a dinosaur when it comes to you know my weight class. I'll, I'll be 36 next month, and there's there's a few guys that you know are still my age and doing it. Um, but when you know that when I know guys that are 10 years younger than me that have already destroyed their body with it, it's I think it's something that needs to, people need to be educated on. Um, but I don't get you know I don't get too involved in it. But yes, it's there obviously, and I think as you move up in weight, it's the, your percentages are going to go up and you know, the, it's probably, you know, like like you said, the guys that you see, like we are talking about, where they, they do look like a human heart. They're just enormous. It's almost like comically big. And it's, you know, I mean, they're adults, I guess. But I mean, we've, uh, you know, being in the NFL, there's, a, you know, the deal is there's just genetic freaks. I mean, I, you know, and, and like it's uh, – uh, this kind of interesting deal where people, you know, oh, instantly, like, oh, that guy takes drugs, and I'm like, dude, I've seen a lot of people take a lot of drugs, and the type of people that, you know, fortunately get to play in the NFL aren't those people. They're, they're just genetic fucking anomalies, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, seeing just some massive fucking human beings, but, yeah, just seeing some of the strongman guys and those dudes that are in those weight classes, I mean, you know, those dudes are, you know, 5'10", 6 foot, 350 pounds, pretty easy. And, you know, move, I mean, similar to, like, powerlifting and all these other sports. So I think, um, you know, obviously the more weight you can put on it if you're in an unlimited weight class, it just kind of, you know, behooves you to do it. But um, at the end of the day, I always think it's interesting where people, you know, I mean, obviously if there was millions of dollars on the line and, you know, glory, fame, and all these other things, then you can kind of, you know, justify it a little bit. But I always kind of question some of these dudes that are, you know, pushing the boundaries of health and performance and all these things kind of mapped up for a T-shirt or a pat on the back to lift weights in a, a fucking ballroom for, you know, four other people. So, I mean, that was a, a good point Jim Wendler uh, made on our podcast, which was funny. He's like, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing all this powerlifting and this, and he goes, I, you know, squatted a thousand pounds and my dad's in the front row with like three other people. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, I just did this for a t-shirt. And it was just kind of come to realization he had. He said, I, I watch guys on the verge of death for, you know, for uh, trying to attain something uh, or, you know, for basically Louis Simmons, uh, you know, approval. And, you know, he kind of backed away from it. It was like, this is all bullshit. But, uh, you know, anytime you put people in a situation where there's competition and, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, you're like this just like me. It's like, fuck, if I'm driving and we're, you're following someone, I, I want to win. <laughs> if we're playing checkers, like, I don't give a shit what it is. I don't like to lose. So, I mean, anytime you're going to put people in competitive situations, um, you know, and uh, to quote my, uh, you know, my adopted brother, you know, if you show me somebody that's okay with losing, I'll show you a loser. And uh, Steve, you're sick. But, you know, I mean, you know, you're going to put people in definitely, uh, you know, a situation and people are always going to look for an edge. But like you said, man, it's, uh, you know, people need education on that stuff. And I think part of the problem is is it's uh, so swept under the rug and it's so taboo that nobody ever talks about it and people say, fucking themselves up. Well, I think that's part of the problem is a lot of the guys that you see that you really do wreck themselves is they just go at it with reckless abandon and have no idea, you know, what the effects are going to be. They just know it's going to, you know, get them stronger, turn them into this freak, and, you know, they don't. They, it doesn't matter what's like we, when you're saying they get into a group, and so I don't know if they're like, oh, well, this stuff works, and they go online and buy it and just use it recklessly. If that's the 
the biggest issue, but I have a feeling that a lot of the people that are using don't know what they're doing. Well, because they're, they're, they're on the internet, and as we know, the internet is yeah. probably the least reliable source for... The least reliable source with for, the most reliable information. Yes, like. <laughs> yes, with uh, the least amount of people offering advice that have no fucking idea what they're talking about. But, I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's such a, a you know, a, a taboo situation that I think, you know, kind of the less is more. And um, the other thing, too, which is always interesting, is uh, our, my buddy Jim Laird, who's been on our podcast, who's a strength coach down in Louisville, he uh, made a point. He said, you know, as an athlete gets older, the margin of error becomes very small. So, you know, when you're young, you can, you know, fucking do, you know, uh, you know, start counting your, you know, testosterone in grams. I mean, you can do all these other things and, you know, drink and party and not sleep and all this. And then as you get older all of a sudden, you know, your ability to, you know, kind of pull these things in and still go all of a sudden starts getting very, very small and all, you know, and, and I'm sure you've seen it at 36 years old and you're talking about guys, you know, wrecking themselves, you know, you can run it real fast and loose when you're young, but as you get older, I mean, ask anybody who... you got to uh, tighten the bolts down, man. Well, I mean, but think about this, like, and I'm sure Luke will look at me and, you know, uh, when I was in my early 20s, I could fucking go out and drink a couple nights a week. I could fucking sleep two or three hours, rage in this, and still go and do my job. And all of a sudden, I turned 30. And that shit, I remember I woke up one morning, and I was like, what the fuck happened to me? And, uh, you know, even in my, like, you know, 31, 32, I just, you know, I couldn't do what I did when I was 23, where I could, you know, lift heavy weights six days a week, run, sprint, party, have a good time, you know, and, uh, you know, chase girls and all that. And it just... Fucking war, war, you know, wears you out. And I think, um, you know, as you get older, your training has to become smarter. You have to become, you know, start focusing on, you know, all the little things like I got to watch what I put in my mouth, I got to watch what I sleep and all this. And I think, you know, especially with the drug culture, that I think, uh, you know, this worked for me in the past, so now I'm going to keep doing this. And you just watch people fuck themselves up. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, unfortunate. Agree 100%. Well, Quinn, I mean, uh, well, first, Denny, text you guys got anything else or? Should we wrap it up? I'm All right, well, negative. But before we close, I I, I want to have just like a little like fire round of uh, just I'm gonna shoot some stuff out and just give me a quick answer. This is for Quint. This is for Quint. Yeah. Yeah, I don't give a fuck about you guys. No. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't care about you and your thin eyelids. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is your favorite event? Uh, I like the long press overhead. Anything overhead. Um, what is the one thing you don't want to see come out of the hopper at you? Come out. Um, you know the. What's the one event that keeps you up at night that you're like, fuck? If it comes down to that one, you know, I gotta like. You know, it's not you know, so much the actual event, but when it comes to loading, you, and usually the stone loads in general, it's not so much the event that will keep me up at night. It's when the the load is to a it's a higher load. You know, at, at 56 or 60 inches, I'm a shorter guy. So yeah. the, the higher loads can can you know make me nervous. Put it that way. All right. Uh, Other big stuff. hands, uh, big hands or small hands? Tiny hands. Tiny hands. Oh no. Is that uh, no? But I mean, things. I, I was thinking for strongman, like you see some of those dudes have just monster fucking mitts. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we think that, like if, you know, for strongman, a smaller hand would. I mean, there's so much, like, gripping, and I was thinking about, like, trying to load the stones and all these other things, uh, you know, the, the circus dumbbells and mm-hmm. all that. So has that been something that you, like, have to hook grip everything, or, like, how do you overcome that? You know, uh, uh, the first contest I did that I mentioned before, and I went down, um, and, and I, I didn't bomb by any means, and I think I finished fourth out of, 
nine or ten guys. A uh, guy that was down there um, that actually he owns a gym on the East Coast. I can't even remember where it's at. Maybe North Carolina. He'd actually come up to me and he said, he goes, you could absolutely be, you know, a competitive strongman at the national level. He goes, but you, your grip is terrible. Like, you need to improve your grip. And that's all I had to hear. And I kind of realized it when I was there. So I just do, I do a ton of grip work in general. It, it's no longer, um, you know, something that I need to, I need to worry about as much where, you know, if I've got, um, you know, if I got to do a heavy farmer carries where in the past it was never, it was, okay, well, the weight's not bad, but, you know, is my grip going to go? Now it's just more, I got to move, but it's just, it just kind of came down to getting my grip a lot better in general. Do you think you could build grip? Um, you know, cause there was a, a bunch of Russian studies that I, I read from the you know 60s and 70s and some training manuals that the Russians believe that you could not develop grip strength past the age of about 19 or 20 or even 21. And we had one of the guys on from the diesel crew, um, you know, the guys that do like all like the you know little Thomas Inch deals where they kind of crush everything. Yeah, they got and, a lot of. Lot and the guy of... believed that was bullshit. So I always kind of whenever I ask somebody that does something that's very grip intensive, I always I'm like, is uh, do you think your grip has improved? Do you think you can improve your grip strength at age 36? Yeah, I think I think my grip's still getting stronger. Um, so yeah, I mean yes, I definitely believe grip strength goes up. And like I said, I started competing in this sport late, and yeah, maybe in the beginning I just hadn't done enough to begin with, but I still feel my grip is getting better. So I'm I'm gonna go. I'm with the diesel crew. Yes. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite form of conditioning? Do you like to run? Do you like to hit the aerodyne? Do you like to uh, fucking sled drag, prowler push? I mean, if you were going to say... Skip it. Um, or, or just say fuck it and go go eat some pancakes. Um, I used to actually neglect my conditioning too much because statically I was ahead of the game. Um, that's since changed. My conditioning is actually better now. And I, I prefer... I like the prowler. I like sled work a lot. And I just like sprints in general. Um that's that's my go-to. Nice. Uh, and lastly, pancakes or waffles? Waffles. Ah, all right. Well, let's end it now. <laughs> <laughs> I love me a waffle. Well, no, cool, dude. Kidding. Yeah, thanks. I just wanted to hit you with a little fire round. I mean, uh, I'm always fascinated with the uh, with uh, uh, hands and like uh, grip strength and all that. I I played with this dude uh, who was my roommate, Bobby Williams, and uh, Bobby had the largest hands ever measured at the NFL Combine. Uh, <laughs> It, it was, they had 4X gloves, which was the biggest Nike gloves, and he couldn't do the elastic on them. Huh. His hands were so fucking big. Like, I remember, like, shaking his hand, and I felt like my four-year-old daughter, like, and I, I don't think I have small hands. No, yeah. But it was intimidating. I was like, Bobby, this, like, I'm, I'm nervous that you're going to We've got a look. problem, yeah. Well, I, I, I remember, like, we were share, we'd be sharing a room, and I was in my bed, and I'd be like, Bobby, can you scratch my ear? And he would like, like, like I swear to God, he could reach over like the gap between the bed, and he could like scratch me. Like it was unfuckably. Like if, if you guys look him up, it's Bobby Williams. He, uh, uh, I think he played at uh, Arkansas, but he he played like 13 years in the NFL. He's just a fucking behemoth of a human being. But like I remember doing punching drills, and I remember Bobby hit me, and he also had like inertia and man strength, dad strength. But he like wrapped his his hands, and he actually like crushed the front of my uh, shoulder pads. And I remember being like, dude, you broke my shoulder pads, you big fucking monster. And uh, ever since then, I've like, you know, whenever I like, you know, look at athletes or, or different stuff that are especially grip intensive, it's either like they have these like gorilla paws or they have these real sharp, like little like pincher hands that are just like, <clears throat> so that's what I think you've got. So, hey man, th thanks very much for coming on the podcast. It was super educational. And, um, you know, if uh, we want to get a hold of you or anybody wants to check you out or get a little more information, where can they go? 
Perfect. No, I appreciate you guys having me. It was a blast. Thank you. Now, what about contact info? Yeah, where, where can we find you? Oh. Where can listeners find you? I mean, I, I think Denny's got most of my info. Um, no, give it to us right what, now. What do you need? Uh, email, uh, website, uh, Instagram, Instagram Twitter, phone number, uh, uh, a, Tinder, a Tinder account. Like, like Twitters. Give us everything you got. Because, Quint, you never know. You may have tapped into somebody's somebody's you fueled their fire and they need to get you as a mentor who how are they going to get get hold of you? you know and just having denny k text you like 45 times a day about stuff isn't gonna suffice <laughs> no dude no that's come on now that's, that's like what you so, uh, so quit like what are you thinking about right now yeah. <laughs> waffles waffles actually that's that's be a pretty common answer um yeah okay in uh email is q just letter q and then my last name zambon at msn.com um Twitter handle is is Zambon175. Beautiful. Uh, Dude, I was hoping for something way better. I was waiting for like Q Dog. I was like waiting for Q Bomb69. Nothing real. Nothing real. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> Facebook's my name, and then I've got a team page which is under um, Untouchable Strength. It's uh it's got a logo of Chicago gangster holding the barbell. Um, I, I think it's the only one that's on there as far as Facebook goes. Nice. Um, so Twitter. Facebook. That's pre- that's pretty much what I got that way. Um, oh, what website's under construction? But you can go to. Uh, they had to change the name due to uh, <laughs> uh, a legal issue with a 24-hour fitness facility. But it's, I believe it's Forge Fitness CL 24/7. Um, then there's the the site that's under construction now. I think you can still get on it. Uh, it should be live again in the next couple of weeks. Is just on untouchablestrength.com. Got it. Badass. Beautiful man. Well, good luck in all the upcoming events and keep on training and you know stay in touch. Let's yeah. see how everything's going. Yeah, no, dude, we'll definitely check. Yeah, you made a fan out of us. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, take care, guys. Thank you. See you guys. All right, guys. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You heard it, people. If you want to get a hold of Quint to ask questions, email him at qzambon at msn.com. You can find him on Facebook under his name or tweet him at Z-A-M-B-O-N-175. Also, remember to follow us on Instagram to keep up with the latest Power Athlete HQ happenings under our name at Power Athlete HQ. Until next time, bye!